Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Glad you're here. I'm excited about this podcast because we were talking to Peter Conti a week ago as I'm recording this, talking about lease options. And it's something that Peter's been in the business for a long, long time. And he has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of real estate investing. He's seen all kinds of strategies come and go. And he's still around today to tell us what's working and what's not. And lease options, the coolest thing about lease options that I love is they were working back 20 years ago and they're still working today. And they've been working a lot longer before that even. So anywhere where you can lease a property for a year and then buy it, lease it for a period of time and then buy it later on down the road, that's a lease option. They're very simple to structure. It's a great way to control property without owning it. It's a great way to mitigate a lot of the risk. You don't need much money. So in our previous episode with Peter, we talked about how to do that with houses. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to do that with commercial real estate, which I know is intimidating to a lot of people. It's intimidating to me, but Peter is going to do a real good job today, I know it, of simplifying it and making it less intimidating and making it more exciting. So we're going to be talking about that with Peter. First, though, I want to let you guys know, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes of these episodes. And if you want to hear the previous episode that we did with Peter, if you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, you can find the previous episodes. But take a look. Uh, if there's a search bar at realestateinvestingmastery.com, go there and uh, you can just search for the word Peter and you can see all the episodes that we've done with anybody called Peter. And I'm sure we've done other episodes with Peters. <laughs> um, but obviously, Peter Conti's will be the most recent one, okay? The other thing I wanted to let you know, guys, is... Um, We'd appreciate the reviews. If you go to iTunes or Stitcher, you can leave a review. Let us know you like the show and give us some feedback. I really appreciate all the comments that you guys put on there. We read them all, and uh, they're very uh, thoughtful and appreciative. We appreciate those reviews. Um, Let's see, anything else? Hope you guys are having a good holiday. We're coming up to Christmas here as we're recording this. New Year's is coming up. It's more important now than ever. At this time of the year, I really think about this a lot, like, planning your future, planning, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing, but keep it simple and keep it actionable, right? We're in the marketing business. We're not in the real estate business. We're not in the commercial business. We're not in the lease option business. And it all comes down to marketing. So as you're thinking about your your 2019 goals, make sure marketing for your business is at the center of it all, okay? And with that, let's introduce Peter. Peter, how are you, sir? I'm doing awesome. It's great to be with all of you on the podcast here today. Glad you're here. I enjoyed our last episode. I really did. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I read your book that you offered, the, free, the freeleaseoptionbook.com. Is that right? Uh, that was the link we gave before. Yes. Yes. <laughs> freeleaseoptionbook.com. I have a different version of it, and I read it last week, and I was like, wow, this is really, really good. <laughs> so um, it's really nice of you to give that away for free. I hope I got the domain right. Yep, that is correct. Okay, good. Freeleaseoptionbook.com. So guys, go there to get the book. Uh, but Peter, you wanted to talk about something different today, something that you've done a lot of. you got a lot of experience in this. And it has to do with using master options. Well, it's basically a lease option on a commercial property. Yes. Uh, you know, a lot of people may have heard it referred to as a master lease. Yeah. Is one of the names that's out there. And it's, you know, like you said in your intro, with any piece of real estate, if you can lease that, uh, arrange to lease it with the owner, and then also arrange to agree on a purchase price that you can buy it at some point in the future, that works great with houses. It also works with commercial. Uh, We'll probably use like apartment buildings as an example. That might be the best way for a lot of people who are listening to get into commercial if you haven't done it before. And the thing I love about apartments just to start off is, you know, it's great to have a house. And then when you get, you know, pick up one here, one there, one over there before you long, you've got all these different properties all over town. 
the nice thing about apartment building is if you've got a you know 12 unit apartment building all of those units are all in one place yeah and they all have the same you know pretty much set up and faucets and repairs and things like that so it makes it easier to look after your real estate when it's all in one spot whether you're doing it yourself if you're just starting off or you have a property manager or a, or a handy person or whatever uh, which is one reason I love I mean I like I like all real estate so it's all it's all good yeah I'd be hard pressed to say do I like houses better or commercial I, I probably would say commercial just because you know bigger deals and stuff but yeah I think for any of you listening to this especially this time of year Joe had mentioned goals and that type of thing wow, if you haven't gotten started with your real estate investing, set a goal to get that rocking in 2019. Even if you just set a goal to say, hey, I'm going to get my first deal. No matter what, I'm going to find a way to make it happen. Now, for me, when I started off, if, if you didn't hear the previous show, if you haven't read any of my books, I was an auto mechanic. I didn't have you know, a lot of backing or anything. I had about $1,500 in my bank account when I started investing in real estate. And I was looking for ways to get into properties without using very much money. I mean, for you know, people now, you go out and look at commercial properties and some of these strong markets out there. You talk to a broker and the broker says, uh, one of my students the other day, he got this email back saying, well, I want to see proof of funds that you've got your 35% down payment and I need to talk to your financial advisor. Wow, really? <laughs> like, find a different broker, number oh, one. Oh, yeah. But um, – there's ways to do it, and I I got this from Tony Robbins years ago, is if, if someone else can do something and you can find out what they did and then model that, then it might take you a little longer. You might have some frustrations. You might have some obstacles. But if you're persistent and determined, yes, you can do anything that someone else can, can within reason. You know, you're not going to become a professional basketball player probably if you're, if you're a five foot eight like I am. But that's my belief. And so yeah. my goal here on this podcast is sh to share enough with you about doing a commercial master lease that we can get that idea in your head. And, and if it does nothing else, it gets you excited, gets you setting some goals to get out there and get a property, whether it's a house or a smaller apartment building or a bigger apartment building, then I think Joe and I will have succeeded here today. Well, good. So talk about, Peter, how you got into that, because you were doing houses at first, I imagine. Yeah, I, was, I ended up doing a little bit of everything, and one of the things that made me uneasy, it's easier these days with a lot of the software and Zillow and things like that, uh, but when I got started, I was not as comfortable figuring out the value of a house because that w was dependent upon, it's easy now that I know you can get comps and look real closely and kind of do it like a math formula, but to me it seemed like more of an emotional thing of, why someone would pay this much for a certain house and not as much for another house. The thing with commercial properties is you can figure out the value of a property by a simple formula where you take the income, you subtract the expenses, and then you do a simple little formula on that that converts that into a value of, of the property. Now, you can argue with someone of, you know, what the expenses really are and that type of thing, but it's nice to be able to compare one property to another. And so, for me, I like that about commercial, that I got it, that with a, a commercial property, if you could increase the income, which you could do by either raising the rents or lowering the expenses, then you could increase the value of the property, and not just a little bit like with a house, but a whole whole ton. And maybe I'll share a, a case study or two about some commercial properties I did that with. Yeah. But, but it was actually one of my mentors that that shared this idea with me, like I'm sharing it with all of you listening here today, that got me just thinking, wow, that would be... I could do that. I could do a commercial master lease. And so the idea that my mentor shared with me was the, the, the first thing you need to understand is you're probably not going to walk out and put together a creative deal with somebody who's, you know, listed their property with a commercial broker two weeks ago. I work with just a handful of clients right now these days. I'm, it's not something I sure I want to do long term, but I'm doing it for the next six or 12 months. And so one of my clients said, well, I've got these brokers I've been talking to. Can't we just go in and offer uh, a uh, master lease? And I just explained to him, I said, look, trying to do that through with a broker, I've done it with listed properties before, but the way I did it is I got everyone together yeah. and basically sat down and put the deal together and the brokers just kind of sat there and listened and collected their commission. So with a lot of the creative strategies, my belief is, Joe, and you, you can you can weigh in on this, uh, I'm sure, I think you're much more successful 
if you're sitting down directly with the owner of the property rather than trying to, to work a deal through a broker. Would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even on a house. I'll just pass on it if, if, the, if a realtor is involved. Um, right. And, and they're trying to exercise too much control or – yeah, Just nothing against away. yeah, nothing against the realtors that are that are listening. I've gotten I've made a lot of money over buying and selling through realtors. They brought me great deals. They've sold properties for amounts that were higher than I could keep a straight face at. So they, you know, the realtors are awesome. Yeah, but um, I just want to start off by saying this is an awesome idea when you use it in the right spot. Mm-hmm. So don't make the mistake of of you know listening to the show, call up. One commercial broker, they'll tell you, oh, you'll never, ever do a deal like that. And then you just put that idea away. And so just like buying houses, you're you're looking for someone who's motivated. They're in a situation they need to solve. They've got an issue. They're not just someone who's just waiting for someone to come along and buy the property. Same thing with, say, an apartment building. You need somebody who is in a situation that you could solve for them. And because they're in a situation and they've got a problem that they need solved, Rather than someone that's just sitting there, put their property out there and hoping to make a killing on it, you're in a much better, you have a much better chance of being able to show them how through your method of using a master lease, you're going to be able to get them what they, what they want. And in fact, I'll share with you here on today's show, if you stay with us, the language that you can use that, that gets them to clearly see that this is really going to be their best option, even better than, than trying oh. to keep selling it. So if, if you find the right person. Yeah. So one of my students, he did a deal on an eight unit property it was down in Florida. The property, the owner had died. It had been inherited by, I believe it was a son in the family who lived out of state. The son had never done any real estate. He didn't want to own real estate. He didn't know what he was doing out of all the units. I think maybe half of them were rented. It wasn't run really well. And so that's a, a, an example of a situation where you could go in and share with someone how you might be able to help them out with a master lease. So the basics of a master lease are you're going to agree to lease the property for a, a set amount. We can talk a little bit later about how you might determine what that amount would be. But just like doing a, a lease option on a house, you're going to agree on a rent that you pay. In this case, the rent is going to be for the entire building. If it's a 10-unit property, you're going to pay one amount every single month to the owner of that property, and you're also going to take care of everything else. You're going to pay all the expenses. You're going to rent the unit. You're going to manage it. You're going to deal with you know, whatever late-night calls or system you have for that. You're going to pay the, the, the uh, taxes the way I like to do it. I like just take full charge control of that. Now, one of the, the first things that you're doing – by putting a deal like that together with the owner of a property is you're taking a property, particularly one that's in trouble or been poorly managed or something. You're taking that property that has been producing a, uh, an average cash flow of whatever, and you're evening that out where they get a, a regular same amount checked every single month. And I found that's something that's generally comforting to a lot of people. <clears throat> I've seen people where, you know, their, their average income is maybe 2000 a month. But when they have a bad month or a problem or, you know, something comes up, a big repair, it seems like they're, they're not making that much, particularly if they have a couple of months, months like that in a row. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So what you're going to do is you're going to lease the property. You're going to want to do it for a, a very long period of time. I think in our last show, we talked about longer, longer leases. The same thing applies to commercial. Oh, yes, guys, listen. <laughs> you don't want to do a lease, it, you know, that's got a drop dead date of yes. you have to buy it in six months or in a year. But if if, oh. if you guys did missed, if you want anything out of that last episode with Peter, you got to go back and listen to how he positions <laughs> the sellers to accept a longer term. I mean, it's just magical. Yeah, and not uh, now. Don't leave us now. But so <laughs> good. All right. So, and then you're going to agree also on a price that you can pay for the property. Now, this is helpful, I found, in putting these deals together. You may have a property that, if it was run correctly, and it was running at, a say, a 5% vacancy rate, which would be good in today's market for an apartment building, 
then that property might be, there's one I was working with one of my students on in Northern California recently, and that property is worth eight fifty if it if it was run correctly. Okay. Now it's not run correctly. In that case, the rents on that property are about twenty to thirty percent below market, which is awesome. And you'll recognize that. Stay with us. I'll tell you why that's so great if you if you can't guess ahead of time. And the owner of that property was considering selling that property to my client for six hundred and fifty thousand. Possibly as much as seven hundred thousand. What were the rents again? Sorry, the rents were they were at about seventy seventy five percent of of market rents. Okay, and the reason they were is because this was what I call a tired landlord. He owned the property for a long time, didn't didn't wasn't out of state, but didn't live in in the same town. Hadn't seen the property in four years. Had a property manager that ran it for him. And if you think about it, you know when someone first buys a property. They're they're all over it. They're they're looking at it and probably doing a lot of the work themselves and doing the market research to find out what the rents are and raising them up as high as they can and you know really running a tight ship. But after someone's owned a property for you know 15, 20, 30 years, that thing a lot of times it's paid off. It's free and clear. They're making money from it without having to put any effort at all into it. And you know if if they've I found a lot of times. People that get going with one property, they don't stop there. They just go out and get a lot more properties. And later on in life, especially, they've got, you know, their house is paid for. Their kids have been put through college. They really don't need a whole lot of, they don't have to go out and hustle is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. So they fall into what I call the lazy landlord. Why? While they'll just let a property like that run. And that was the case with this one. You know, he could have raised the rents himself. He could have done a lot of stuff. But so here's what happened. They were in the process of putting this deal together, and he had basically a verbal agreement that he would buy it uh, for. I think he, he was was originally at six hundred fifty thousand, and he went up to seven hundred thousand. And then the seller said, "Well, I'm just going to check with a broker to see, you know, before I sign this thing." And it was it was a traditional deal. He was going to bring in uh, some some of his cash and some financing and just buy it outright. And so. A broker said, "No, this thing is worth eight fifty. We're going to list it for you know nine hundred and probably sell it for eight fifty. And so that changed the seller's perspective on, you know, gosh, I'm leaving some money on the table. Maybe I shouldn't do this deal. So when you're talking to someone who has an apartment building like this, number one, there's something going on. It hasn't been well run. The uh, you know the seller might have some medical issues or something going on where yeah. they you know they're they're whatever it is." I do like to focus on properties that have been owned for at least 15 years or longer for this reason, if you're looking to put together creative deals like this with, with commercial properties. There's a better chance if someone's owned it for 15 years that, that they paid a much lower amount, the loan might even be paid off or a very low balance, much better chance that they're going to be one of these lazy, tired landlords that we're talking about. So the conversation that I walked my client through was this, saying, look, Mr. Seller, I understand that this property could very well be worth 800, 850 if everything was run really well. Quite frankly, as you know, you, you may realize it hasn't been run that well. <laughs> the, you know, some of these expenses are up, the, the uh, could be managed a lot better. I think there's probably room to raise the rents. So, what I'd like to do is I'd like to lease the property. I'll pay you a set amount every single month, and I'll just take care of everything. I'll take care of the tenants, any of the problems, any of the evictions. I'll pay the real estate taxes. I'll do everything, and you're going to get your set amount of X dollars a month no matter what. Hmm. Uh, in exchange for me doing that, I you know obviously need to have a way to profit from this. Yeah. What I'd like to do is I'd like to agree on a purchase price that we could have as a set price that I can basically take title, buy the property from you at some point in time. And you can set that date, you know, three years out, four years out, five years out, a ways down the line. The nice thing with a commercial property is if you do find a property that has been mismanaged or poorly run like this, you can do the math on it ahead of time and figure out how much you can increase the value of the property and then go talk to a lender to say, when I have this property running like a tight ship, and at that point it's worth eight fifty or 900000 what type of loan would you be okay bringing in? 
And I'll get into a case study in, in, in yeah. a minute that explains how you can do that and uh, get in, you know, with very little, you know, in some cases, no money uh-huh. into a deal like this. So the conversation with the seller, you're basically saying, look, we kind of know that this isn't run as well as it could be. I'm willing to go in and put the work and effort and turn this thing around. It's it's probably going to take me, you know, gosh, at least a couple of years, maybe even, you know, three, four, five years. You and I know, Joe, and a lot of you listening to this know it's not going to take us that long. It might take us three or four months, five months. <laughs> yeah. But we, we'd like to have time if we need it, of course. And basically what you're, the, the negotiation or discussion with a seller is saying, I'll do that work, but I'm going to need, I'm going to need a piece of the, the upside for doing that. So as I was walking my client through this, my suggestion to him was, if, if you could get this thing with a purchase price of seven, seven fifty, seven seventy five, that would be awesome. Even if you had a purchase price of, of, Eight hundred thousand, that'd be okay. Okay. Worst case, if you agreed to a purchase price of eight hundred and fifty thousand, but you did not have to take title or close on that until eight or ten years from now, that would still be an awesome deal. And the reason that's an awesome deal is because when you structure these correctly, you can go in with very little to no money at all up front going in to take over the property. They're tired of it. They don't want to deal with it. They you know, turn the, I've taken over properties before where they didn't even give me the keys or like, look, I don't even have the keys or whatever. I just went in and knocked on the doors and said, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm with a new company running this property. Do you have a lease? If so, let me see it. Um, by the way, we're rekeying your locks. Here's the key, blah, blah, blah. So what you're doing is you're letting just like we do with houses, we're letting the fact that over time, we know those rents, number one, they're below market is ideal in a situation like this one. Number two, 10 years from now, the rents are going to be a lot higher, in which case the value of the property is going to be, you know, uh, substantially higher. With commercial property, it's actually more than this, but just to keep it simple on this podcast, for every extra dollar that you bring in per year on a commercial property, it in effect makes that property worth $10 more per year. Wow. So, you know, you get something like this where the rents are 20, 30% below market, as long as there's not long-term leases, which in this case, they're just month to month, you can go in and raise those rents within, you know, a couple, three, four, six months, certainly, and increase the value of the property a lot. But the cool thing is that if you do it and you structure it right, your payment that you're going to make to them every month, where would we get that money? Let's see, where could we get that money to make that payment every month? Hmm. The rent? (laughs) (laughs) Yep, you got it. You yeah. take the, the rents because you're running the show now, right? So you're going to take all the rents out of that. You're going to pay the expenses. If you're on top of it, you're going to do, you know, a lot of the things like I talk in my, about my commercial real estate investing for dummies book, like getting a, a smaller dumpster and having it, having it dumped more often actually ends up being a lot cheaper because other people don't come by and dump all kinds of stuff in your dumpster by putting in controls on the, the heating and uh, air conditioning system that, that, uh, you know, keep the tenants from uh, playing with it. And, and uh, I've had buildings where I actually turn the heat off during the day, depending on the outside temperature. So if the outside temperature is at least decent temperature, we shut the heat off during the day, which in my opinion, they really shouldn't be in the building. It should be out working during the day. But you have to you have to adjust that. It's called a nuisance meter. We would have a little thermostat that we would adjust back in a secret location the tenants couldn't get to where if, if they complained, we would, you know, we'd certainly turn it up. We don't want them to freeze. Yeah, but yeah. But you can get the cost down. Every every bit of that goes to your bottom line in your cash flow that you use, number one, to pay the owner out of that cash flow. And every dollar that you increase per year, again, increases the value of the property by $10. And that's what I love about commercial property. So you're going to go in, take over the property, use basically, it's like buying a business for nothing down and then using the cash flow from the business to pay off the owner, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. So. The way you explain this to the owner, again, coming back to this, circling back around, is anyone else that comes in and looks at this property is going to find the same thing when they go through the financials and do their due diligence, just like I did. They're going to find that, yes, this property could be worth $850,000, but right now it's worth quite a bit less than that, simply because it you know, hasn't been run as well as it could be. I'm willing to go in and put the effort in, into doing that, getting it up to shape. If you'd agree and be okay with 750, 775, again, even if you agreed at 800,000, 
purchase price, and you had a long enough time period, maybe say five, six years before you had to close on that, then I'd be willing to head, to move ahead and uh, you know take on this property. Now, a couple things with that. Number one, you absolutely want to make sure that you do the paperwork right. Uh, you know, if you haven't done a deal like this before, find someone that can help you, or you know, get a get attorney to help you out. You want to make sure that just like doing a lease option on a house, when you go to take title, you don't want the owner of the property to say, hey, I didn't realize you would make it worth this much. Yeah. I don't want to sell you the property. Now, how do you think I know that after having done all these? <laughs> oh, yeah. So what do you do you have? What are some of the things you do to prevent that from happening? Um we do a number of things. Number one, we'll record the actual master lease agreement that we use on the property. Sure. Some people will say, well, shouldn't you do a memorandum or you don't want to let people know what your price is on the property? That doesn't make any sense to me because if you're buying a property these days anywhere, you can look online and find yeah. out what someone paid for it. Right. You know, and that doesn't affect, maybe it affects the negotiation a little bit if they paid a lot less two months ago, but for the most part, that doesn't really affect anything. And one of the legal precedents that we want to have in place is if someone is claiming that that there's there's no valid agreement and you really didn't have the right to buy it, we want to be able to point back to this agreement that's been on the public record for the past three years to say, well, what about this agreement that was recorded against the property three years ago and this documentation that shows that we've made you payments under that agreement every single month on time for the past 36 months, that's not valid. If it wasn't, why did you accept all those payments from us, you know, is is one step. And then there's some other things you can do. Um, we actually record a special type of a mortgage against the property yeah. so that they can't work around you. And the reason that we developed something that it actually is a mortgage, but we had to make it where it would work for to secure your interest in a master lease rather than securing interest in a loan, which is where you typically see mortgages. And the reason a mortgage works is because the title companies, they know what a mortgage is and they know when it says, you know, here's an amount that that has to be paid off for this piece of paperwork to go away from the chain of title on the property. Contact us at this phone number. You know, you hear about it when someone's trying to do something funny like sell the property to someone else. Okay. Yeah. So what you're basically saying to the seller is. Look, anyone else that comes in and looks at this thing, they're not going to be willing to pay 850 either. Here's a way that you can get this done, the deal done, get it solved, be done and over with this and and move on and you're still going to come out great. You're going to get your 775 for it which which in our negotiations we're going to explain how, you know, if it was listed for 850 or 9, someone's going to offer less than that, closing costs and fees and realtor costs and all that type of stuff. They're going to end up getting less than that anyway. Same way as you would do in a house if you're negotiating, right? Sure. Yeah. So let me just tell – I'll tell a, a quick story about one deal that I put together uh, similar to this. Corrine was 88 years old, and she had a property located in Denver. It was a 24-unit apartment building. Nice property. Real solidly well-built. Had these cement floors that if you looked from the underside, looked like, like the underside of a bridge, like these cement kind of beam things going across there. Real solid. Um, you could probably bounce a basketball on the floor above and you wouldn't even hear it, which may, I think my, some of my tenants did there. But so she had owned the property, was free and clear, had figured this thing would take care of her in her old age. She was 88 years old, had Alzheimer's disease at this point in time. Oh. I was actually talking with her daughter and uh, her daughter's husband about the property. And it, it wasn't. It just wasn't doing it because of the reasons I talked about. She was in California. The property was in Colorado. Hadn't been run well. She'd gone through a couple, I don't know, two or three different property management companies that were really sticking it to her in fees. When I went by and looked at the property for the first time, I think there were three units that were ready to rent. I mean, painted and carpets done and cleaned and everything. And there wasn't even a for rent sign out front. Wow. So for those of us in real estate, we know, <laughs> I mean, the very first thing I do on any property is make sure the front signs out front, even when the person's still in there and we got to kick them out. So, you know, I looked at the financials and, and the problem was she needed $3,000 a month to put her in a, in a uh, care home. And the property at that point was generating about $2,100 a month. 
on average over the, the previous two years. But when I looked carefully at the numbers, I could see where a lot of that was due to things like, you know, having apartments that you could rent, but you don't bother advertising them or charging too much in property management fees and other costs and things that we could cut down. So I, I saw looking at the financials that I was pretty sure I would be able to generate that $3,000 a month from this deal. The other thing, I'll just mention it quickly here. The nice thing, just like we do with lease options on houses is with a commercial property, if you structure it correctly, you're going in, you're not putting any money into the deal. You're taking over the property. If you do your paperwork right, what's what's the downside? Well, when you have a lease, there's always language in there that says, if you don't pay the lease, here's what happens. And that language basically says that the owner has to give you notice and and you've got the right to cure and that type of thing, but that the owner takes over the property if you stop making the payments on it. So I looked at this deal. My I remember my wife was a little you know, concerned about it. And I said, look, honey, this deal, if it doesn't turn out and it's not working out well, all we need to do is stop making the payments on it. And then the owner takes the property back over. Um, it's basically yeah. like you can give it, give it back to them. So how awesome is that to get into real estate? If you haven't done deals before to get in and be able to test, like be able to test drive the car and take it home and be able to bring it back after uh, six well, months or which, a year. Which tells you about the, um, the power of options. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this property had been referred to me by a, a real estate broker, and one of the things I work with my clients to do is, is create relationships with real estate brokers, but, but don't expect them to, to have three deals sitting on their desk that you're going to be able to do you know, creative financing on. This particular broker, his name was Tim. I'd gone out to lunch with him a couple times. I got to know him. We had kids that were the same age, and... I basically said, hey, I'm looking for deals like this. If someone's willing to carry the financing or something weird or whatever, if you meet someone, you can't do a listing, let me know about it. And so he had tracked down the owners in California and gotten a hold of them. And they weren't willing to sell the property because at this time, it was worth $450,000, worth, worth more than that now in today's market. But they didn't want to sell it because if they sold it because of it had been fully depreciated and that type of stuff, tax reasons, they would have had to pay a lot of capital gains on it. And they didn't want to do that. He said, well, I can't put a, together a deal on this. Why don't you see what you can do? So I got a hold of him, found out what was going on and talked to him a little bit. And then I invited the, the um, let's see, been the owner's son-in-law. I invited him to to come out and travel to Colorado. Now, this applies to any real estate deal that you're doing. If you can get an out-of-state owner to to fly into town to meet with you to talk about putting a deal together, huh. I think that raises your odds of of doing a deal. I don't know. Oh, what do yeah. you think, Joe? Ten times as much? <laughs> well, it's it's not very often heard of. You know, they're not meeting with anyone else, uh, uh, as far as I was aware of. Basically, came into town to put the deal together. And the other thing that worked out really, and this was just blind luck, was I met them out at the property, and I guess I guess there was a problem with the property, and was talking about maybe coming out to check it out. And I said, well, hey, let's get together and, and meet out there, and, and we can talk about how we might structure this. So we go out to the property, and there's this boiler room where you you know darkly lit. You go down these steps, and there's this guy. It was on a weekend. He's wearing the blue like uh, HVAC worker guy uniform, which mm -hmm. to me, that, that signals that you're getting charged, you know, $125 an hour or whatever they charge. And the water, Joe, was about two feet deep on the floor. It's like this black water on the floor. Oh, boy. With like bubbles coming up, like look like witch's brew or something. And, you know, that, I mean, it looks horrible. If you haven't been around real estate, you know, it sounds like, oh, my goodness, that's a nightmare. Why would you ever want to buy a property like that? But from a negotiating standpoint, it's one of my students one time, he, he would take people out back and negotiate by the stinky dumpster is the way he uh, talked about it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. So um, it was pretty good set up that way. And I mean, and it's, you know, yeah, it's a nightmare, but it's, you know, it's like a $10,000 nightmare. It's not a end of the world nightmare, right? Yeah. So uh, we went to, I think we went to a Denny's and we sat down and and put the basics of the deal together and. And uh, actually used their attorney to to uh, draw up some of the stuff. Of course, had my attorney take a look at it. But we put this deal together where I agreed that I would pay $3,000 a month and that I could buy the property for 
450000 which was the full price that the broker had wanted to list it for them at that point in time, at the point in time when Corrine passed away. Now, she was 88 years old and had Alzheimer's, so we didn't know how long she was going to live, but she knew it, we knew it wouldn't be forever. And that was one mistake I made on this deal. As a side note, there's something I found out later called the rule of imperpetuities, and you, you're not supposed to have a contract that just goes forever. Oh, yeah. And this deal is actually one of the, one of the deals that, that um, uh, people have tried to fight me on closing on. You'll see why in just a moment here. So we had put it down as when Corrine dies, when she passes away, Peter can, my company can take title at $450,000 purchase price. Now, this was one of the first deals of this type that I did. So I went to a mentor of mine and said, hey, I've got this deal I've put together. What do you think about this? And he said, wow, that sounds like a great deal. I said, well, how can I make it better? And he said, well, you could ask the owner to carry the financing you know, when you close on it. So I went back and said, yeah, it looks pretty good. The only thing I'd like, you know, I'd like to get is uh, uh, I'd like you to carry the financing when I, when I take title. And they actually agreed to that. They agreed to like 30 year owner carry financing when I bought it. Pretty good deal, right? Oh yeah. So I went in, uh, you know, took over the property. The rents on this were, were below market, which was awesome. They were on all on month to month, so I could have done it all at once, but I didn't want to have a mutiny. So what I did is I sent a letter out to eight the first month, eight the second month, and the final eight the third month. And the letter said something to the effect of, hey, it's, you know, I, I'm sure you've had a great time living here, enjoying the below market rents. Unfortunately, you know, death taxes and rents, it's time for them to go up. And we, we, we offered to raise their rents, not all the way up to market level, but you know, jump pretty good up towards market level. Okay. And then the letter said, uh, in, in a, you know, to let you know, we appreciate you as a great resident. We'll give you a choice of one of these three things. You can have any one of your rooms painted. Uh, you can have your carpets cleaned, or you can have the services of our handy person for half a day. Now, those are all things that you're going to do anyways when you take over a property, right? You want to, you know, go in and get it painted and cleaned and looking nicer. So about out of the, Eight each month, we had about half, you know, three or four or five that said, forget it. I've been paying this low rent for years on, you know, you're crazy. I'm out of here. Okay. We're like, great. Here, I'll hold the door open for you. You know, mm. get your stuff out of the way. Make it easier for our crews to come in, paint, clean the carpets, get it. And in which case, we rented those units for full market rent. And the net effect was we ended up over that first three months, we ended up raising the rents an average of $85 per unit over 24 units. How much per unit? $85 per unit. Wow. And I haven't done the math on this in a while, but I think it was right about $2,000 a month increase. So the, the effect was financially, and this may be hard to get on a podcast, so don't try to follow along with this, particularly if you're driving. But when I took over the property, by doing some of the property management and stuff myself in the beginning and, and not having to pay a property management company. Basically, I took over the property. The property was generating enough money to pay the expenses and create the $3,000 a month that went to Kareen. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah. Then with this increase and reducing some of the expenses and, and that type of thing, we were able to generate $2,000 a month in extra income, which goes into one of my favorite banks. Do you want to guess which bank it is, Joe? Hip Pocket National Bank. You got it. <laughs> yeah, of course, awesome. it gets paid, paid taxes on it before it goes in there. But so the cool thing about that is if you do the math on it, again, it depends a little bit on the market that you're in and that type of thing. But that's in round numbers, 24000 a year. Again, with where cap rates are right now, it's more than that. But let's just keep it simple and use that use that ten factor. We know a dollar makes it worth ten dollars more. So in this case, twenty four thousand dollars makes it worth two hundred forty thousand dollars more than when we bought the property. Isn't that cool? That's amazing. So I could have sold the property at that point in time and just you know exercised my option early. It was making good good money and was a solid building uh, located in a in a you know a decent area not it wasn't a, a an a building but it was probably a c c plus building uh, possibly maybe a b minus and i just i just kept that thing and 
pretty quickly turned it over to a property management company because I didn't want to, I don't think you make money dealing with tenants in real estate. I think you make money by using your brain and putting deals together and, and letting the value of real estate go up over time. And so that's what I did. And I, and I just had that property sitting there. When Corrine passed away, they did attempt to defeat my interest in the property. They, they started posting notices and saying, we're canceling your lease and that type of thing. I had a, had a good attorney. I had made all the payments. They kept accepting my payments and cashing them while this was going on, which kind of makes it hard oh, to say yeah. there's, no, there's no agreement in place that they mm-hmm. keep cashing your checks. And um, basically, we worked it out because I stood my ground. I said, no, I've done everything I said I would. Uh, I'm not going to pay you a higher price for the property. Um, you need to sell it to me for the 450000 Sure. And... They, as you recall, they had agreed that they were going to carry the financing for, for 30 years. I think to get it done and to stop uh, bickering around about, about it and legal costs, I basically said, look, if, if you'll go ahead and close the deal, I'll bring in new financing and you don't have to carry the financing. You can be done with it. So that's what we did. I found a lender who at this point in time, the building was, was worth seven seventy five eight hundred thousand. I found a lender who was willing to come in and do a refi on the property, even though I had not put a single dollar into it. And they brought in financing and basically provided the 450 to cash the owners out. The, the property was you know, producing income, was cash flow positive through all this time. I, in fact, got a, at one point I had a 15-year mortgage and I moved it up to a 10-year mortgage because I just wanted to get this thing paid down. And let that property sit there with the property manager. I would, I would maybe go by there, you know, once or twice a year or something, just to kind of look at it and say, hey, isn't that cool? I put that deal together, and I owned it a total of about twelve years. Wow! And by the point in time when I sold it, I had just about I was getting close to paying the mortgage off on it, and. I actually ended up selling it on a master lease. If you can, isn't that cool? Buy it on a master oh, really? lease and sell it on a master lease. How much did you sell it for? I sold it for, it was like 1.2 million. And what my goal, it kind of a, I don't know, it might be a stupid goal. My, my goal was I want to make a million dollars on a nothing down deal. And I hesitate to tell this. So if you're listening to this, please, you know, I know there's like these, just like, if you haven't been around real estate or you haven't done a deal yet, for someone to go out and do a deal, a nothing down deal, make a million dollars on it, I know probably your BS detectors are going off. That's fine. If you know you can sure. believe this or not, it's up to you. Sure. I just know that that I wanted to do that on a deal and I thought it would be really cool. So so anyways, yeah, put it together where I sold it on a master lease. Um and the guy that bought it, he was he was uh making you know, making payments to me at that point in time. And then he brought in new financing, and the effect was by the point in time that he cashed me out, he had um, the loan had just about paid completely off, ended up making a million bucks on a nothing down deal, which is pretty incredible. Wow! If you're listening to this, don't think that you're going to go out and you know your very first deal do a home run. This is this is a home run deal certainly, but if it's a deal that gets you excited enough about real estate to see where just a regular auto mechanic like me and didn't even go to college is able to take an idea like this, which is really what I did. I took the idea. I, yeah, I went out and started creating the connections and stuff, looking in the marketplace and talking to people and, and, you know, shaking the bushes and, and, um, looking at lots of properties and making lots of offers and stuff. But if you're out in the marketplace looking for stuff, you're going to come across your own home run deals and you'll be able to be on the podcast here with Joe in a, six months or six years from now, telling your story about an awesome deal like this that you did. You know, that reminds me, when I was getting started, Peter, um, I remember getting discouraged about, oh man, everybody else is getting all the deals, right? Or getting discouraged if I made an offer and I didn't get it accepted. Yeah. And I heard somebody say once, there's a million dollar deal every day. And what he was meaning by that is, if you miss one or if you're too late or if whatever, don't get discouraged keep on going strong at it because there's going to be another one right around the corner. Yeah. You just, you can only, and you'll only find them when you make a lot of offers. Well, and I, I think if you have the mindset of not letting someone else determine your, 
you know, your view on life and the way that you're going to go about things. In yeah. our in our previous podcast, I, t- I told the story about how when I was working as an auto mechanic and the the owner of the coffee, the um, auto repair shop came over and said, Peter, that coffee's for customers only. Yeah. I, I made a decision there. I wasn't going to let him or anyone else determine my financial future. I wasn't going to let them determine my life. I wanted to, to say, hey, look, we're here for a short period of time on this earth. I want to do some some great things. I want to you know, put my kids through college. I want to have, to me, freedom is what it's about, the ability to get up each day and decide what you're going to go and do. That to me is worth more than any amount of money, although money makes a lot of things easier. And real estate, I just feel so blessed to have been involved in real estate and and particularly be able to reach out on something like this podcast and and give someone a, you know, a shot in the arm, hearing something like this to say, wow, wouldn't that be cool if I could, you know, go a deal, do a deal like that. And so if that's you listening to this, and maybe listening to a deal of, you know, flipping a house and having to work really hard and making, you know, $20,000, $30,000, that sounds like a lot of work. Maybe this story will get you excited enough to go out and, you know, find your own path, whichever method it is. And that's the neat yeah. thing about real estate. There's so many different ways of working deals and putting stuff together. And particularly today with the technology and stuff that you can get online and find out, you know, what stuff's worth and what people paid and who owns it and all that, that type of stuff. Awesome. Yeah, Good. Can you, I just had some questions real quick, because I know we're coming up to an hour, but I want to, could you review some, is, like finding these deals? I know you talked about beating around, beating on, around the bushes, shaking the bushes. Shaking the bushes, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, fruit falls out. Yes. A lot of it is just, you know, getting out on the street and knocking on doors and looking for the deals and talking to people and networking. But are there, is there any direct to seller marketing that you like to do for these commercial deals? Well, I think. I think probably when it comes to marketing, uh, you can tell me if you agree with this. I think what everyone wants is they they want to buy a list of somebody off you know some website or get some magic system that you push a button and it's going to you know find incredibly motivated people with deals. Uh-huh. So you know do something like this. I found marketing is in real estate. It's just like any other business. It's a combination of everything that you do. It's a person you meet, you're talking to, and you hand them your card and say, you know, hey, I, I invest in real estate. If you know anyone that has a commercial property. I was talking to one of my clients the other day, and he'd been, you know, he got started, and he's just been been working at it for about three months now. But so far, all he's done is go to commercial brokers. And, you know, that's good, I think, more from a relationship standpoint, uh, from the aspects of, hey, if you've got a deal or a funky property or something that you know, doesn't work or is, you know, half burned down or something, give me a call. But I'm, I'm not going to probably buy the property that's fully leased up turnkey deal that requires, you know, 20, 30% down. That's probably not the deal for me. Sure. And of course, that's that's what he's finding. So I shared a, a couple ideas with him. One was to reach out to property managers and network with property managers. Um, pretty easy if you're getting into commercial real estate you're going to need some property managers to take care of your property in the the course of getting to know them or interviewing them i actually went to like property manager meetings um where i could have some face-to-face time with people hey here's who i am here's what i'm looking for if you know of any properties that have been poorly run or maybe the owners aren't willing to put the capital in to run the property the way you know it should be i'm looking for a great property manager and of course, I'm always looking for deals like that, and I'll make sure that you get taken care of if you if you refer me a deal, and um, you know if you're a decent property manager, I'll make sure you're the property manager on that property as well. Sure. So that's one resource. The other one I mentioned was residential real estate agents and brokers. Now, why would you go to a residential agent for commercial property? Well, what I found is that people get a relationship with a residential broker sometimes where they bought their house or, you know, a couple, three or four houses over the years. And it's kind of their, their real estate person, right? Yeah. That person might also own a small apartment building or medium sized apartment building, or maybe their parents pass away and they inherit a four unit that I did a deal on comes to mind where, you know, they weren't landlords. They didn't know really what to do. So they reached out to the residential broker, residential broker, doesn't know commercial, isn't going to probably take them through a whole big thing and looking at everything and saying, hey, your property's worth a zillion dollars, you know, listed with me type of thing. So 
sometimes residential brokers can be a good resource to say, hey, my client called me the other day, and you basically end up getting a pocket listing because they're not quite sure what to do with it or even how to value it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You can do mailings. There's uh, services out there right now. One of them is called reonomy.com that they actually show you the different properties and they have the owner contact information available, not on all properties, but on a lot of properties, in which case you can reach out to them, um, send them a letter, that type of thing. Hmm. I think the challenge with some of that marketing is how do you break through, you know, with all the properties I, I've owned over the years, I've gotten a lot of mail of, hey, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to buy your property, call me type of thing. And I, I put them in a file and save them, of course, being who I am. But how do you find a way to create a, a connection with those people? And so for one of my clients right now that I'm working with, I'm actually helping him put together a commercial property owners association in his area. There's really not an apartment association or group that already fills that method, which networking at the apartment owners association, if you're already in a big metropolitan area that has one, is a great way to meet owners and also sure. about, you know, a thousand vendors that want to sell you stuff. So I think finding ways to get people, if you think of people who are going to be around commercial properties, appraisers, people at title companies, people are going to be in the business and around properties and around property owners, where if you can get them to know that you're the whatever guy, you're the commercial guy, or you're the guy that's looking for, for apartment, distressed apartment buildings, and you'll look at anything, you'll make offers on anything, they might not like the offer, but you'll you'll come and look at it, you're a serious buyer, then that gets you into a situation where, number one, you're getting a property that ideally isn't out on the market where everyone else knows about it. Number two, I found, like we started the call off here talking about, if you can connect directly with the owner of the property, oftentimes, I think you have a much better chance of of putting a deal together. And you can do that even with listed properties. I was looking at a, a mobile home park with one of my clients a few years back and talking to the broker. And we said, well, great. We'd you know, I'd like to meet at the property. If the owner could be there, that'd be great. Well, you know, we'll probably have some questions. And in this case, the, the broker drove quite a ways. I mean, like three or four hours away, wow. drove all the way to get there. And uh, of course, I had flown in, you know, from out of state and uh, as well as my student had. And so we're there talking and starting to go through this process of, gosh, I, you know, I don't know if we can help you or not. We're looking at a lot of properties, uh, that type of framing. And it wasn't very long. The broker's like, like, well, I don't think we've got a deal here. You know, he, didn't, he wanted to get home before dark. Yeah. So he jumped in his car and left. Well, he's getting ready to leave. And we said, well, we're just going to walk around, you know, we're going to walk around the park. And um, so we took a lap around the park to give him time to get out on the road. And then we... We said to the owner, hey, is there a place we can go down, sit, sit down, have a cup of coffee? And we sat down, and I remember we had apple pie and coffee. And the owner in that case was was willing to do a deal, but the, the numbers just didn't work out in that case. It wasn't a property we ended up, ended up buying. But that's a good example. You know, sometimes people ask me, well, how do you, you know, you ask the broker, can I, can I talk, go, go directly to the, the owner? And in most cases, the broker is going to say no. They're worried that you're going to go around them or not pay their commission sure. or that type of thing. So I just find if you can sit down with someone, create some good rapport, really enjoy getting to know them and finding out, finding out what the heck's going on, just like we do with a house. This, gosh, this is, I mean, this is a, this is a great little six unit property. Why would you ever consider selling it? Yeah. And, you know, get them talking about the tenant that, that, you know, moved out and trashed the place and whatever, you know, if you're not involved in real estate and, and you hear just the horror stories, and number one, if, if you get in real estate and you don't run it like a business and, and do things correctly, yeah, you're going to have problems. If you, if you don't have a system in place to, to move quickly and get people out of your properties or a victim if you need to, sure. if they don't pay the rent, that's where you get these horror stories where people say, that, that person was in there and they lived there for two years without paying me rent. When I hear stories like that, all I can think is, yeah, and you're a lousy business owner mm -hmm. because you didn't step up and, and make it happen the way you need to. You know, if someone doesn't pay the rent, I, I look at it as someone going in the grocery store, filling up their shopping cart full of groceries and pushing it out the door without checking out. I guess you can do that at some Amazon stores now. But um, so, but if they don't pay, you know, you go, hey, you need, you need to pay your rent. If not, you need yeah. to find someplace else to live. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So is, is, that, is that helpful? Yes, it is. It's about relationships one-on-one. -on -one. 
And yeah. then when, when you're getting with the seller, um, you know, try to find a way to get the broker to work with you, but you got to stay in control. Of it. Yeah. 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 So, um, Peter, you wrote a book. I didn't even talk about this at the beginning. I forgot about it. Do you still like the book? <laughs> Is it okay to talk about it? Which one? The Dummies book. Oh, yeah. Commercial Real Estate Investing for Dummies. Yes. Yeah, it's available on Amazon, or I I might have a URL if someone wanted to get a free copy. I'll I'll pay for the book. You just cover the shipping. How's nice. that sound? Yeah, let's do it. What is it? It's petersfreebook.com. Petersfreebook.com. So there's an S after Peter. Yes. Yep. Petersfreebook.com. Very nice. Yep. It's a commercial real estate investing for dummies book. It's awesome. That was one of the funnest books I've ever written. And the neat thing about the dummies book is they wanted us to write it where you could sit down and just in one section get like a really nice chunk of a strategy or something you could use without having to even go through the whole book. And uh, we have a section in there on master leasing properties that goes into more detail than we had time to get into today. Wow. Very cool. I'm looking at the website. looks nice. And uh, the reason I asked if it's okay if you still like it, because sometimes I know you, you published this a while ago. Um, but the dummies company, do they still let you have any control of the book after you've written it? Or do they have a pretty tight control of that? Or how does that work? Well, with a with a mainstream publisher like that, they it's kind of like we have the joint copyright is the simplest way to look at it. I don't have the right to print it and, and go sell them. Yeah. But they do give me a, a discount. And um, uh, I recently ordered a couple boxes is why I'm able to, to offer that free free book offer. Okay, cool. But uh, they give me a good discount on it. And out of all the books I've written, that one is still, I don't know if it's the market right now or a lot of people realizing that commercial is a great place to be. It, it's selling incredibly strong. And uh, I actually get a nice royalty check for me and Peter Harris, the, the co-author I did the book with good uh, every year, which is, that's nice income, right? Do nice. work once and and uh and the nice thing about commercial is commercial hasn't changed even though we did write it a few years ago the basics of finding a commercial property and going through and learning the formulas to evaluate a property and the the um, ability to go in and you know run a tight ship that hasn't changed what has changed is and this is beyond the scope of of our podcast here today but there's lots of ways that people are coming up to basically get higher income out of the small, the same amount of square foot. So with like office buildings where people are doing, used to be that that uh, executive suites was a way to do it. Now people are doing co-working like WeWork does, yeah. where you're providing a whole experience and a range of services. And with apartment buildings, one that came out recently is in some uh, metropolitan areas, they're offering, I'll just call it co-living. I don't know what if there's a better name for it. Maybe there is. They basically have the building built where the bedrooms are built kind of like a unit by themselves. So they're built insulated sound-wise, where if you're in there, you're kind of closed off from the rest of that unit. So they might have a unit that has uh, four or five or six bedrooms off of it, and then a common kind of kitchen area. They don't have a common living area, interestingly enough. It's, it's you know, if you want to go hang out, it's in some, someone's room. Interesting. And then they have actually an app that you can use to match up to what are the type of people that you might want to be kind of co-living with. And they actually offer some other, other services and things of, you know, we'll get your laundry done for you or, you know, whatever. Things to make, make it easier for someone to live there that, you know, are probably millennials, uh, single people type of stuff for the most case. And... It's very interesting. You look at that and say, wow, that is really cool. They're getting higher rents out of that same amount of space, which which that's that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting, yeah. Well, yep. um, that book URL, again, is petersfreebook.com. Peter, P-E-T-E-R-S, petersfreebook.com. And um, anything else that you want to give away to folks, Peter? Is there another website you want to send them to, or is that just is that good enough for now? You know what I'll do is uh, I've been thinking of adding a a um, training. It's actually one I did with my 
my elite clients. Now, these are people that pay me fifty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 that want to learn how to go out and syndicate deals, go out and raise money from investors to where rather than doing creative deals like this, which you can still do those, you have the ability to go and look at lots of properties and go to brokers and say, hey, I've got the cash on hand or I've got the investors and the, the funding. You know, Here's a cash you out today type of price on a property. And that's kind of a cool way to go. It's a little more advanced, but I think there's, uh, gosh, I don't know. It was a two or three day workshop and yeah. we recorded the entire workshop. And I've been thinking about adding that as an extra bonus to uh, people okay. uh, at some point. And I'm going to go ahead and add that on. I'll try and do it before you guys hear this podcast. But in case I don't, I'll, I'll make sure you have access to it anyways, even if I don't get it on the page. You know what? I'll, I'll commit to getting it on the page. So it'll say, hey, okay. as a bonus, you also get this. Um, now, that's not something that probably someone who hasn't done any commercial before is probably going to go out and become a master of that overnight. But I have my clients now go through that training because it gets them starting to think about where they're going. They're not sure. just, you know, yeah, right now, if you haven't done deals before, it might be going, about going out and getting a four unit or a, a, you know, a 12 unit or a 20 unit to get started, get your feet wet. But really to run a six unit really isn't any different than running a 60 unit or a 150 unit property. In fact, the larger properties, it's almost easier because they can more easily afford to take care of property manager uh, crew to look look over things and run it for you so you don't have to be involved with it. Really? And what I like my clients that I'm working with now to start thinking about is how they can, number one, have a bigger mindset. Number two, start putting some little teasers out there to, you know, people that you meet, you know, what are you up to? Well, you know, I'm, I'm basically um, putting together a commercial property portfolio. I've got this really interesting deal that, that I'm looking at. I don't know if it's anything or not. It might be a chance, uh, you know, for someone to come in. I've got people that give me, give me money that want to get great returns on it. I don't know if you'd know someone like that or not, but, and again, I don't know if this deal is going to, you know, if you want, I could like, would you like me to let you know if it ever turns in anything? Would you have an interest in that? Yeah. And it, it's a way to get people starting to get comfortable raising money without chasing after people is what I call it. That's good. Good. And um, again, petersfreebook.com. Peter, thank you for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. And um, I, for those of you who have listened to me before or read my books or maybe listened to the last podcast, you know that I enjoy so much being able to take someone who either hasn't been investing in real estate before, or maybe you've tried some things and struggled, or maybe you've done some stuff on your own. You haven't found it's worked out as well as you wanted to, or maybe you've already had some great success and you're just looking at some other great strategies and tools to add to your toolbox. I love being able to be here and give you a little kick in the pants and encouragement to say, go get them, go make it happen. Yeah. Live that big life that you were meant to live. Yeah, that's good. And these books are really good to read. I, I'm looking at them right now on Amazon and I've read we got several on here. I've read almost all of them except the commercial real estate investing for dummies. So that looks really good. <laughs> I like dummies books. Yeah. Makes me feel smart. Cool. Well, thank you, Peter, again. I appreciate you being on the show. Well, Joe, I, I appreciate you having me on here. And um, I know that you've put a lot of effort into this show and the other things that you do over the years. And I just want to let you know that, that, I, I appreciate that. I know a lot of the people listening to your podcast appreciate you as well. Good. All right. Thanks. We'll see you guys later on the next episode. Go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. If you've missed the links that we gave out and you want to hear this again, get a transcript and all that good stuff. Again, realestateinvestingmastery.com. And Peter's free book is uh, petersfreebook.com. We'll see you guys later. Take care.